0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningson Show on TNT Radio.
1: All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. Great discussion before the break with our guest, Freddie Ponton. going to go into u.s politics in a moment here the uh the colorado situation is still developing so a little recap the state of colorado has kicked donald trump off the ballot deadline for final uh, entries on that is uh, january 5th so it's a little bit cheeky to sort of do this right before christmas so this is like this is the sort of thing that the u.s sanction other countries for uh, election meddling, running illegitimate rigged elections. They say, oh, that's not democracy. And they go and sanction them and everybody in them. So here it's happening in the United States. What are they going to do? They're going to sanction the Democratic Party establishment. Uh, is that what the government's going to Of course not. They're not going to do that. So uh, just a little bit of background on this. What What is this all about? They claim Donald Trump is in violation of the 14th Amendment, that he's so somehow fomented an insurrection as if that was like anything near a coup. At no point was the United States government ever in danger of being usurped or couped or anything like that. There's, it's the, the the whole January 6th uh, insurrection talking point was bogus from the beginning. It, it's it's bogus. It's like it, there's this kind of routine now of lying and twisting the rhetoric in order to over the pudding, and this is just becoming insufferable at this point and it started with russiagate that the russians interfered in the election donald trump russian disinformation all this stuff it it takes years and millions of dollars of legal fees and hearings to debunk all this stuff but eventually it it gets debunked but does it why do we need to do that because any any fool on there with 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 half a brain can see straight off the bat it's the argument is bogus they're doing the same thing with Israel and the whole so, so-called so anti-Semitism crisis that they, they keep ginning up, uh, uh, saying that college students are calling for the genocide of uh, Jews in Israel, which was a lie. Supporting the Palestinians does not ergo mean you're calling for the genocide of Jews in Israel, but that's what Congresswoman Stefanik was pushing during the hearings And managed to get the president of uh, Ivy League school, I believe, I think it was Penn, uh, to resign on the basis that uh, she, she wasn't going to act against that hate speech. Hate speech that didn't exist. So a solution to a problem that didn't happen. Does this sound familiar? It's pretty much everything coming out of Washington these days. I'm thinking of the electric car as well. A failed solution for a problem that doesn't exist. So often this is the case. Anyway, so now we've got the same sort of screwed up, convoluted arguments and logic still trying to squeeze every last drop out of this January 6th narrative. So I'm going to go to one of the smartest people on Twitter. X is Second City Bureaucrat. These are the accounts I consult. A lot of people aren't aware of them. Anyway, (laughs) you should because these are the smart people, little bit tongue in cheek, very satirical. But anyway, this is a serious tweet here by Second City. He's saying legal commentators will try to make the Colorado Supreme Court decision seem like it rests upon uh, recondite issues of constitutional law that only experts can handle and understand. I don't think it's about what constitutes an officer, etc. It really boils down to defining the January 6th protest as a quote, insurrection, and asserting that the chaos constituted concert's collective action directed by Trump to conquer the government. That's the official narrative, okay? In other words, he says, this is an extension of the ongoing uh, media-based compurgation ritual, where the public are aggressively astroturfed for years by non-expert demagogues like Rachel Maddow into interpreting an ambiguous set of facts against an enemy of the media with the facts themselves being curated by Congress and the DOJ, i.e. withholding video evidence of law enforcement actively and other proof of non concerted action by protesters while highlighting videos of E celebs with bullhorns. In other words, (laughs) the law enforcement invited them into the Capitol and it was a social media selfie fest. I think we all knew that any, any adult could see that. But then again, those in the mainstream media and working in the Democratic side, I'm going to pick on you guys because you are really bad on the Democratic side of the uh, federal institutions, i.e. the DOJ, law enforcement, etc. You created something that wasn't there, quite simply. And then when there was exculpatory evidence, you buried it. You wouldn't even allow it into the courtroom for the defense of all the people you chucked in the gulag who were guilty of nothing guilty of nothing, politically uh, persecuted defendants who were sentenced should all get pardoned, of course, but only if there's a Republican victory, only a Trump victory would pardon all those people. A rhino would not. So Second City uh, rounds out that analysis saying, because higher level courts are restricted in their ability to correct the interpretation of facts made by lower courts, the media are heavily favored. That's an intelligent analysis, of course, for the purposes of deciding this case, we need to Uh, Sorry, we need not adopt a single all-encompassing definition of the word insurrection. This is out of the legal opinion here. Rather, it suffices to conclude that any definition of insurrection for the purposes of Section 3 would encompass a concerted and public use of force or threat by a group of people to hinder or prevent the U.S. government from taking actions necessary to accomplish a peaceful transfer of power in this country. That's in the uh, ruling there. So I'm reading you some of the nonsense that's coming out here, this is just ridiculous. So what gives a person in a black robe the right to tell uh, millions of Americans who they can vote for and who they can't, especially when they're not charged or guilty of any crime? This is an important question. And the answer is uh, nothing gives them that right. It will be likely overturned in the higher court. We hope we hope that's expedited. But there's other states like Michigan and the maniac Gretchen Whitmer, who's a complete psycho, fake kidnapping plot. You remember that last election, 2020, that was an FBI little operation, the kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer during COVID. You remember that? There's no end. So there's other states too that'll do this. So uh, if any of these are successful, and maybe some of them are, they could change the outcome of the election. The polls are overwhelming. Donald Trump's going to romp the Republican field. The polls are, it's, it's overwhelming. There's no chance. The only chance, Ron DeSanctimonious, I'm calling him that because he is now officially Ron DeSanctimonious, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, the warmonger. And the other sort of also runs Chris Christie and whatnot. The only chance they have uh, to somehow be in competition with each other for a likely nomination is if they can manage through lawfare to get Donald Trump kicked off the ballot in all these states. That's it. That's their only chance. Is that is that playing fair? No, that's cheating. So I guess this is it. So the so the Republicans. To, so Donald Trump accused the Democrats and Biden of rigging the 2020 election of cheating. There's plenty of evidence of that. Certainly in Arizona, we have plenty. Was it acted upon? Has it has has anything come of it? No, because we have corrupt courts and activist judges, and quite frankly, there's people just scared to overturn any uh rulings by the establishment once it's already done. It's, it's a very dicey area. Okay, so this is the this is the problem we have. So there. Th- so the Republicans who should be wanting to challenge uh, some of these issues for future elections to be above board, one would think. So their solution here is to collude with the Democratic establishment to actually rig the next election. Is that not what's happening? Seems to be. That's what's happening. So anyway, that's great. So yeah, reinterpreting the Civil War, 14th Amendment. So that's so the, the good news is, if there is a good news, that this 14th Amendment ruling will be caveated by the Supreme Court decision. And they won't be able to pull this trick again. They probably have other tricks they can pull. Um, 25th Amendment, there's probably a few other little cards they can pull. But anyway, this one, sh- this loophole will be closed off uh with a higher court ruling one would hope and they do it in time before january 5th anyway but the fact that we're even having this controversy is ridiculous it also shows you that there's certain people that view the constitution as this kind of elastic uh, relative document that can be twisted contorted and reconfigured to suit whatever their sort of political machinations are or objectives or Machiavellian plots or whatnot uh, in the present day. Okay. You do not want to get into that cul de sac, that deep, dark rabbit hole of screwing around with your constitution in order to eliminate your political opposition in the short term. You just don't want to do that. You know, that's the beginning of the end to a lot of stable uh, democratic uh, systems in history. And so that's that's corruption on a very, very base level. When that happens, the damage that's done by these types of moves cannot be easily undone. And they usually end to the fragmentation of a political system, maybe ultimately society, and could end up in the breakup um, of the country down the road, okay? Because that is the, the glue that holds together the United States are our principles. Be clear about that. The principles enshrined in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, those principles, that is the glue that holds America together, equally applied. When that doesn't happen, that's when things start to disintegrate, not just in the U.S., but throughout history as well. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a break here with TNT. Today's News Talk, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be back. With our next guest, Benjamin Rubenstein, looking forward to this conversation. On the other side, stay right there.
0: TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new
2: revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy. But millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government
1: does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for.
0: The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio TNT.
2: Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering
0: it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to (laughs) tntradio.live. The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7, this is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. I would thank everybody in the TNT chat community. We see the numbers there rising over 100 today. I want to keep getting people in there. If you're listening live on the audio, you also want to open up that red bubble at tntradio.live, get involved. You can also remain logged in, which is quite good on this system. So as soon as your browser pops up, it'll remember you in the future, and you can get right in there. It's a lot of great information that's also being posted uh during the program in the tnt chat room thank you guys everybody in there now i want to move now to back to the united states and uh we've got our guest on the line benjamin rubinstein uh, who is a political commentator but also keeping a very close eye especially on the situation in the middle east right now and uh, ben welcome to the program
2: thanks for having me patrick
1: it's great to see you. I, I, we've we've spoken on Twitter Spaces, I think a number of times over the last sort of uh, period there. It's been a tumultuous, uh, I think, what are we in our ninth week of this crisis in, in the Middle East right now? It's too much to bear for a lot of people, but it seems to be having some uh, real problems uh, in Washington with the current administration. I'm looking at the polling. I don't know if you've looked at the polling on this, Ben, but there's, there's clearly a backlash over this policy of the current uh, administration, Democratic administration. So there's usually contrast a little bit anyway, not much, not much, a little bit between Democrats and Republicans on the Israel-Palestine issue here. But right now, it's just so far out of whack right now. The situation is so over the top. That I We don't have any real point of reference of how to deal with a situation like this in America. That's what the conversation I was having in the previous hour with uh, Freddie Ponton. But your thoughts on this coming into the Christmas season, too, very sensitive period politically, for especially going into election. Go ahead, Ben.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I think part of the reason we're seeing Biden's polling at the lowest ever is because the Democrats have spent so many years, decades, really, courting the Muslim vote. And now Muslims feel betrayed because of Biden's handling of this genocide on Gaza. At one point, Biden was forced to apologize, as reported by the Washington Post, uh, to a group of Muslim community leaders who, and he had to apologize and say, listen, at first, we didn't have any confidence in the numbers, the casualties coming out of Gaza. But now, we do have confidence in those numbers, so not even the Biden White House is denying that, that that there have been thousands of children who have been killed, and it's and having to come back a month after it started and say, "Listen, I'm sorry that you know we we've been giving all these bombs to kill your friends and family" uh, is not a good look. So that really explains, I think, why a big reason why we're seeing Biden's number dropping numbers dropping so low, and that's not to mention the economy. You know ukraine is not looking good right now uh it was and not to go on to on that but you know it was just reported that a russian special forces plane landed in aid the washington dc airport uh and so you can make of that what you will but you know biden is losing some face on that front as well and trump is gaining in the polls and you know when you see biden dropping in the polls and trump gaining winning in all the swing states uh, and then you see that Col- the Colorado Supreme Court has removed him from the ballot. You start to see that the the, the Bi- that the Biden regime is becoming quite desperate and and looking for a way to save face anyway. Can right now uh, you've had in recent days Jake Sullivan meeting with Mohammed Abbas, Isaac Herzog, and it is like night and day the Biden administration will say, we want the Palestinian authority to take over in Gaza, in a post-war Gaza, as if Hamas is actually going to go anywhere. They're not. But that's what the Biden administration wants. At the same time, minutes later, you have you have uh, Isaac Herzog, uh, or Yoav have rather, speaking with Jake Sullivan and saying, you know, this is not an option on video. So it's just really just incredibly embarrassing for the Biden regime. They seem to have lost all control of their uh you know Zionist colony uh who seems to be doing whatever they want at this point and sure they've gotten together this sort of anti-Houthi naval force uh and it's questionable whether that's actually going to achieve anything not a single major power in the Middle East has signed on including Saudi Arabia the UAE and Qatar Egypt uh and and for Saudi Arabia you know it's hard to blame them months ago china had helped broker a peace deal and saudi arabia doesn't want its oil fields bombed that's simple math so the u.s has had to rely on small partners like bahrain and seychelles which is an afro small african island very militarily insignificant to sort of muster up a, a international force to counter the houthis but they're sending all these battleships uh and these and these smaller ships and it 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 seems to me that it won't have any real impact and now today earlier i saw that the houthis are actually doing a general mobilization to send people into palestine uh into gaza directly whether that pans out to be true is is another question but it is no question that the houthis are extremely serious and place ideology be, beyond money
1: no absolutely um you know yemen is uh or if you believe that's the the legitimate uh government of yemen which many yemenis do believe the answer allah the houthis are the legitimate government based in sana that's what the whole war was about for going into its ninth year uh it's a tentative truce right now between saudi and, and the Yemenis on that, of course, that would break if Saudi and the UAE joined this, this anti-Houthi coalition, as you were calling it. But it just shows you the sort of the precarious position that the U.S. finds itself in, stretching themselves even further out on this issue, when it seems like the obvious solution, Ben, is to, well, Yemen's very clear, we'll stop doing this soon as you stop uh, bombing civilians, you're talking about the Israelis plus the U S support of Israel, uh, we'll stop if you stop. And, and by the way, we're in line with international law, says the Yemenis. And they are because Israel's in violation of, I don't know, I've lost count, uh, of how many treaties have been violated. So it's like, what are we talking about here? You can't keep calling this a terrorist organization in Yemen, uh, when they're actually acting like a normative state actor basically in fact they're doing what the u.s do all the time ben
2: yeah absolutely and i think what we're seeing here is is other countries starting to do what the u.s does we're seeing the rise of multipolarity, and the houthis just happen to be the vanguard of that uh movement at this very moment and also you have hezbollah and i can't imagine a situation where israel goes to war against the Houthis, Hezbollah, and Hamas at the same time. If they do that, I believe it'll be catastrophic there. You know, it's not as much in the news because it's less uh, fantastical as seeing, you know, dead children constantly in Gaza. But what is happening in the north of Israel is very serious. Military bases are being blown up. Israeli soldiers are being killed surveillance outfits are being just destroyed annihilated it's it's quite significant and hezbollah is not the hezbollah of 2006 it's far more militarily advanced and again hezbollah puts ideology before money
1: and then back to back to the united states because Look at look at the, the the demographics in the Democratic Party. The next generation, the types of people that would be, you know, following the squad, uh, you know, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and these people, and they're younger. They're out on the streets, mobilized in support of the Palestinians. They're being demonized by the U.S. media, calling them pro-Hamas, calling them all these things, mischaracterizing uh, the nature of those protests. But those are democ those are the future of the Democratic Party. And the Gen Zers uh, place authenticity at a very high premium. You know They expect that uh, in terms of policies. So um, th- they're more likely to opt out of voting. They're, they're not gonna vote for, for Republicans. They may vote for Jill Stein or a Green Party alternative. And the Muslim community in America, it's not just people from the Middle East, it's African-American Muslims, which are a significant influential voting block within the African-American community broadly, okay? So this this is hugely problematic in a lot of key districts as well, key swing states, Pennsylvania. We've also got uh, Michigan, Detroit area. We've also got Atlanta. So in a close race, uh, this could make a big difference. So uh, I see a big crisis of morality and and principles in the Democratic Party of values that a lot of young people hold dear. And it doesn't seem like the older boomer Democrats seem to care too much about these values based on their policies. I see a major existential crisis brewing for the Democrats in this. After all of that sort of cohesion you saw under the Obama Two terms, it, it it seems to be fraying, Ben. That that's what I see. Unless they can shore up some kind of a uh, an exit or a way out of this, I think it's it could be disastrous, uh, not just in the presidential, Ben, but down ballot as well. But your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think the Republicans are are being set up by the Democrats for a massive comeback, and I think that we, I wouldn't be surprised to see a majority public Republican Congress and Trump in the White House, despite what's happening in Colorado, that could always get overturned by, you know, the federal Supreme Court. Uh, but what's happening right now is that, you're right, young people are losing faith. They're seeing their their Muslim friends, their allies, as they refer to them, uh, having their families killed. They're seeing their Jewish friends, their progressive Jewish friends out protesting and being arrested uh, for, for, you know, at protests, for protesting in the wrong spot. Uh, And they they see Biden's weak response. They see Biden talking the talk, but walking the walk of genocide, essentially. And, you know, this has just been such a red line. This is more of a red line by far than what's happening in Ukraine or Russia. And, you know, I, I definitely think that that is something very important to people and that we shouldn't be sending money to Ukraine. However, we're not seeing the same level of graphic footage that evokes emotional response uh, from the voter base as we're seeing in in Gaza. It's just absolutely atrocious. It's one of the worst crimes against humanity uh, in in decades. And, you know, the amount of and we can never stop talking about the amount of people being, you know, the amount of children being killed. This is directly... Uh, digging a, a hole into into Biden's bo- voter base. And, and and unless he ends the war and puts up a two-state solution, I don't see him being able to save face. And to be completely honest, the Israelis have made it very clear, Netanyahu literally bragging about stopping a two-state solution. Uh, you know, they they don't want to play ball. They're not interested because this isn't actually about Hamas. This is about taking land. Uh, and, and finishing their 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 colonization of the Levant.
1: So yeah, you're you're saying what a lot of people are starting to realize is that you know we have the two-state solution. A lot of people will say it's null and void at this point because that Palestinian state is so small and fragmented that it's not even gonna be viable. Then there's the one-state solution. It means one state for everybody, equal rights under the law. Whoever wants to stay stays. Whoever doesn't like it can leave, i.e. South Africa, after the reformation, after apartheid. But then you have this other thing, Ben, which you're alluding to, which is the no-state solution that seems to be the de facto Israeli policy right now, if you look at the facts on the ground, and the facts on the ground with Gaza and what's going on, it's very disturbing. The level of displaced people, I think we're over a million people uh, internally displaced already, I mean, in such a small area. So it doesn't seem like and I think people are realizing this Ben so in other words this this game of musical chairs that they've been playing for the last 30 years now now the jigs up the final cards have been pulled so where do right. we go the from Oslo how can Accords is, yeah go ahead
2: well the Oslo Accords has completely collapsed you know uh, I believe it was Joav Galant the defense minister said that they expect this to go on for another seven months I mean if you do the math there that's hundreds of thousands of people killed you know that's uh, and literally everybody displaced. Uh, that that just that's an untenable situation for a Biden victory. And of course, as soon as the war ends, Netanyahu is out the door because he's facing his own corruption trial. Uh, so I, I definitely think that where where we go from here is uh, you know I don't see a situation where um, Biden is willing to stop funding to Israel, stop weapons deliveries to Israel. And don't see a situation where israel is ready to get behind a two-state and stop impeding a two-state solution and so really what that means in my mind is that regional forces are going to have to resolve the situation independently of the united states and uh, perhaps independently of israel itself meaning a non-diplomatic solution which is horrible to think about i think we'd all like to see the people in charge being responsible and trying to deliver the world and Palestinians a fair diplomatic solution. But nobody seems to be willing to play ball with each other. And, you know, Israel has recently said within recent days that they're ready for another round of hostage negotiations. But Hamas has no incentive to do that. Because look what happened the last time. They the I mean, days after. Numerous hostages were released, a thousand people were killed in a 24 hour period. And so that's just horrific. Hamas. So Hamas has said in response, there will be no hostage exchanges, hostage exchange until after there's a permanent ceasefire and a permanent deal. Not only that, but something that has gone very much unreported in the mainstream media and even some alternative sources is that for the first time in a very long time, or possibly ever, uh, Hamas has indicated that they are willing to join the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which means the Palestinian Authority. And the Palestinian Authority has given some reciprocative uh, responses, saying that they're open to this kind of deal and if that happens, if you see hamas uniting with the palestinian liberation organization suddenly you have a situation where where all the different factions and there are many in in palestine start uniting that's a major problem for israel not only that but you've got the hezbollah in the north you've got houthis on the coast You know, things are very could very rapidly start going downhill for Israel, and while they may seem to be, you know, winning militarily, perhaps not strategically, there could come a point where they stop winning militarily.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's there are limits, uh, to you know waging a protracted, uh, ground war as they're calling it in a place like Gaza. I mean, they are being worn down in terms of equipment, uh, in terms of men and morale. That's a reality. So seven months or four months or whatever, it, it's going to take its toll. Now, um, on on the uh on the political front as well, um, I think there's there is there is an idea that Egypt could be a potential local, you know, regional actor that could somehow change the dynamic here. But what are the, what are the odds of this? Uh, it seems like there is a big upswell of Egyptian public opinion, totally in support of the Palestinians, um, could, could, if this situation continued the way it's going and the horrors keep coming through social media and everything, you could see some kind of a major uprising in Egypt Would that compel the Egyptians to move because they seem to be in a natural position to actually change What's happening in gaza what do you think
2: well so so far palestine has always and always will be very popular uh in egypt that being said uh cc has just won his third term and Sisi has said previously that the red line for him and for the military the egyptian military is the forcible expulsion of palestinians of through the Rafa crossing into Egypt. Whether he delivers on that is another question entirely because Egypt is extremely poor. They rely heavily on U.S. foreign aid to keep going. Uh, they're they're in an economic crisis of their own, and it is entirely possible that the United States buys off the Egyptian government and Sisi uh, say, and says, hey, listen, we'll either cut off foreign aid entirely if you don't take these refugees from gaza or we'll give you x y and z amount of money billions in all likelihood uh to take the palestinians so while cc has said that you know for the forcible expulsion the ethnic cleansing because that is ethnic cleansing of gazans going through the rafa crossing into egypt uh, is a red line. It's un- unknown whether he'll actually deliver that, on that or not. Um, it's worth mentioning that Hamas, for, for a little historical background, Hamas uh, has been referred to as the Muslim Brotherhood in Gaza. And in the meantime, Sisi is, is pre- his presidency came out of the sort of the ashes of the ruling Muslim Brotherhood government in Egypt. So, uh, you know, while that is not super significant as significant as you know foreign aid. Uh it is it is an explainer of sort of how CC may be seeing the situation.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. That's a that is an interesting little vignette because a lot of people uh forget about obviously the Arab Spring with Mohammed Morsi and the Muslim brother coming into power in 2012. But a year later there was a counter coup, and that was absolutely backed by the S- Saudi Arabia, the UAE, the Gulf states, and they're not very keen on, obviously, the Muslim Brotherhood and they had some backing from parts of the U.S., but the U.S. was quite, also quite happy. John McCain with the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in 2012. Lindsey Graham, d- they're over there demanding his release from prison and so forth. So uh, I don't know if that was just stage play or not at the time, but it's a very complex issue, Egypt. It's a very, very tricky issue for the United States, uh, for Israel as well, So, but a lot of people are looking for leadership from the Arab world, and naturally, it, we, we'd hope that it would be coming from uh, an Arab nationalist country like Egypt, whether that's the case or not, it remains to be seen. So it's all, everybody's sitting and waiting. Someone said something interesting, Ben, they said the, that the the Palestinians are in a, uh, like in a similar dynamic to what the people in the Donbass uh, were stuck in. The only difference is Russia is not coming to rescue the Palestinians. They don't have a Russia to come and rescue them, probably because Israel's a nuclear power. If Ukraine had nukes, it might be a different you know result in the dumbass for instance so it, well it, also it, it, you know look go at ahead. Who,
2: who would be the russia in this situation right it's saudi arabia the uae qatar they're they all care about money more than ideology um egypt cares about money more than ideology uh and so you know the, the idea that if anyone comes to palestine's rescue it's going to be the Houthis it's going to be Hezbollah it's going I mean maybe Assad uh, and Syria but they have their own problems and they are also getting regularly bombed by Egypt their airport their main international airport or by, is by in Damascus yeah. is
1: oh, constantly yeah.
2: getting bombed by Israel yeah yeah,
1: constantly yeah non-stop really um, and, and Aleppo as well so this is, this is the dynamic they're in the Hashtag Shabi as well that's a That's a wild card in Iraq, the people's mobilization units, much like Hezbollah. There are a lot of actors. Iran doesn't look like they're going to want to intervene directly. That's going to be a big order for Iran. I don't see that happening very easily uh, for obvious reasons. That would unleash a hellfire from Washington. Unless
2: Iran is attacked, they're not going to directly respond. But I think also from Iran's perspective, they don't need to, because from Iran's perspective, they see Israel currently as digging their own grave. And I'm inclined to agree with that analysis. Mm -hmm. Currently, normalization with Saudi Arabia and Israel is, is just completely off the table. Now, that is a massive diplomatic victory for the future of the resistance in Palestine, for the future of Palestine. That is the biggest victory that Hamas has secured here. And that is uh, something that was likely done very intentionally by Hamas to sort of disrupt the the normalization process not only with Saudi Arabia but other states. Um, and in the so in the meantime, you have you know these these sort of reactionary Arab governments uh, turning their back on Palestine, walking the middle ground. You have Erdogan, for example, uh, talking the talk while sending water to the IDF, water bottles to the IDF and other supplies. Uh, but, you know, they're in a situation where the Houthis are cutting off up to 12 percent of international uh, trade through the through the canal. Uh, and you have the government of the United States saying, right, OK, well, you can help us stop this. Th- those countries like Turkey are going to say, oh, are we going to aid a bed genocide or are we going to seek a diplomatic solution? Uh, I think a lot of them. You know they still do have some sympathies for palestine and they maybe they feel their hands are tied for one reason or another not that that's an excuse however uh they they're going to be more inclined to seek a diplomatic solution or even to just let the situation play out and i think that's what we're seeing with the uae with saudi arabia qatar has been uh instrumental qatar and egypt have been instrumental in mediating the situation but uh you know they they're not going to if they're not going to get hands-on at some point while that could be currently detrimental to uh palestine it could actually end up turning in their favor because that also means that they're not siding militarily uh with sort of the united states israel access
1: yeah i agree with you and yes uh, like the iranians and others could sit back and watch israel's international uh, credibility just continue to sink, and maybe that might advance uh, their goals uh, Iran's aspirations to see a liberated Palestinian people in the long term more realistic, but it's sure. a very, very difficult uh, very, very difficult and tragic uh, situation there's there are no good uh, outcomes in the short term, it seems hopefully there's some uh, light over the horizon. Now, I want to take a break here with the with the network Ben, but when we come back, um, the support for Israel and the United States and maybe the slight junction here with another story, Jeffrey Epstein, the unsealing of the client list. This is going to get interesting, I think. We'll talk about that after the break here I'm with Benjamin Rubenstein. I'm your host, Patrick Henningson. This is TNT. Today's News Talk. We'll be back for the final segment of the final hour in just a moment.
0: Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
3: Remember that song years ago, Lunatic Fringe? I know you're out there. Believe me, I know they're out there. I simply watch these people in the climate change cabal and listen to what they say. John Kerry is out there and I will give him credit. At least he did not say a half billion people like Hillary Clinton, but the latest is that climate change is causing respiratory problems and has killed a half million people. Now where do these statistics come from? Are there death certificates now that say you died because of climate change? But we've got this guy from France, I guess, François Gimon, a professor at the University of Lige and a specialist in environmental geopolitics. What the heck is that? He spoke on French TV about the threats of cats and dogs. Listen to this one. Cats and dogs are a disaster for the climate. A cat is a disaster for biodiversity. Do you hear that, Maisie and Shooter? And a dog is a disaster for the climate. Positive proof, folks. The lunatic fringe, except they may not be fringe anymore, is indeed out there. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog. Oh my goodness, a dog, that's a disaster for a climate. Asking you to enjoy the weather, it's the only weather you've got. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Prediabetes diabetes does. One in three adults has pre-diabetes, but with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. Take the one minute pre-diabetes risk test today. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org.
0: Patrick Henningsen and TNT.
1: All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to the live broadcast. We're in the second hour, actually the final stretch of the second hour, this live broadcast here on Wednesday, and we are joined on the line right now with our analyst and uh, commentator, very good on Middle Eastern affairs and U.S. politics, Benjamin Rubenstein's joining us on the live link right now. Ben, you know, a lot of people have wondered, uh, what is is there some mechanism behind the scenes that, uh, besides the, the obvious financial campaign contributions, that just totally locks into place congressmen and senators, media personalities, and so forth, that this uh, undying support for uh, the government in israel and all of their policies and just brought more broadly the you could say the zionist agenda but also the the, the israeli nationalist uh, expansionist agenda w- what what is the mechanism for this and then this story about jeffrey epstein emerges in recent years and you start to look at this and look at the background of this and you can see this is not just a coincidence there's a lot of very strong links here that one could easily make the uh, make make the hypothesis that these two things are intricately connected. What have have you had time to think about this? And 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 also the the the, the client list is going to be unsealed this week. We're told that could be very interesting. Your general thoughts on this?
2: I see Zionism as sort of uh, a default expression of the globalist ruling class. So a lot of a lot of these oligarchs uh, see Israel as sort of a pet project of their own. Uh, and so beyond that, I think the Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein thing is actually quite critical because if you look at the history of the Maxwell family, the family of Ghislaine Maxwell, it's actually extremely tied to the Mossad they're basically Mossad royalty. Uh, and, and that goes back as far as three generations to Robert Maxwell, who is the founder of the Daily Mirror and has was exposed by Seymour Hersh himself in a book accusing him of being a Mossad agent, helping traffic guns, helping spy on other countries and making millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions even. Uh, in the meantime, now Robert Maxwell mysteriously died on a yacht. uh, And he was flown to Israel and received a hero of Israel funeral. And he was eulogized by the president. Uh, And this is a man who publicly had no open connections to uh, to Israel. And of course, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Ghislaine Maxwell was the partner is was the partner of the notorious sex trafficking pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and so the question of whether uh, or not the Epstein sort of uh, trafficking ring was actually a Mossad blackmail uh, operation is is very well warranted. It's a very well warranted question. And it even goes further than just, uh, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell's father. It's in the entire family. For example, Ian and Kevin Maxwell, he has nine children. Robert Maxwell had nine children. Ian and Kevin run an anti Islamic terrorism or uh, think tank run, ran out of King's College in London, which is notorious for working with intelligence agencies like MI6. And not only that, but you've got, uh, you've got Isabel Maxwell, who basically helped run a Israeli technology company that helped Protect children online. Now she was helping protect children online at the same time as her sister was running the world's largest child sex trafficking ring for the most powerful people in the world, uh, and that was an Israeli tech company doing that work. Um, and and so even further than that, you have Isabel's son Alex, who goes by a different last name, uh, who who worked for who was recruited. Uh, By Hillary Clinton and worked for Hillary Clinton almost straight out of college, just like at drop of a hat, graduates, works for Hillary Clinton. So this family, when I say they are Mossad royalty, I mean it.
1: Well, that's a, that's an interesting constellation there, because I didn't know about the rest of the the Maxwell clan. So it seems to me been intricately tied to the intelligence, the five eyes or the six eyes as it is known with Israel as the uh, sixth eye of the five eyes intelligence sharing network. Israel doesn't share everything with the US but the US shares everything we're told with Israel that's another story so this is a very interesting picture you painted here so so then is so then a lot of people will and uh, Whitney Webb uh, alluded to this in her two-part two book series, excellent, uh, One Nation Under Blackmail. Jeff the, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's operation is a blackmail operations designed to entrap political leaders, uh, influencers, celebrities, all, all these sort of people, heads of media, and to get them basically on board for for something. I would think there have to be some sort of payback on that. And what is that payback? Is that payback uh loyalty and support and the whip line on israeli related policies could that be one of them i'm sure that's not the only thing but that could be one of them
2: sure and i believe that their that their uh their loyalty to the zionist project is rewarded their loyalty to the globalist establishment on a larger scale is rewarded Isabel Maxwell used her father's connections to secure very, very lucrative contracts in Silicon Valley. And that was after his passing. Uh, so this is, you know, it's sort of a, a, a almost an incestuous relationship that these, black, that these people who are very likely blackmailed have with the, the ruling elite. Maybe personally they view things differently, but for their own safety and on the other hand, for their own success, they choose to play ball.
1: You know, and then the client list, this is the thing that everybody was like, when, when are we going to see the rest of the client list? I don't know if this is the whole client list, but apparently 150 names uh, set to be unsealed mm-hmm. into the public domain uh i don't know they they, they had the redacted black book before we also got a lot from the original uh brian's original gawker um article that came out for one of the first things to come out on this but there's so many other names in there um including uh i don't know if it's related to epstein island little saint james but robert f kennedy recently admitted that he'd flown on jeff's private jet i think his wife out of some tight relationship with Gilts Lane or whatever that kind of raises red flags doesn't it with RFK's kind of you know total uh you know dying loyalty to to Israel so th- this is going to be interesting and could this disrupt possibly the 2024 election in some way
2: well you know Patrick I totally agree with you I think just to be on Jeffrey Epstein jeffrey epstein's plane and in his circles is not on itself incriminating you had people like stephen hawking who were probably seeking out funding for research but to be anti-war on everything but israel and to have flown on jeffrey epstein's plane twice is certainly cause for concern in my mind now it's worth noting that he says his wife had some sort of relationship with ghislaine maxwell but that's his ex-wife who's dead she can't speak to it Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, and, and RFK Jr. himself has previously admitted to sort of being obsessed with sex. He used to, while he was married, he used to keep a journal and use coded words to keep track of how many women he had slept with. Uh, and so this is really kind of degenerate behavior um, that that is very frequent among, you know, sort of people who are born into, into sort of royalty uh we tend not to use that term in the United States when we think about it but that's what it is the Kennedys are a political dynasty now kennedy robert f kennedy junior is sort of the black sheep of the family and he's even been denounced by uh by many members of his own family but that doesn't mean that he's really willing to flip on their establishment and since bernie sanders came into play in 2016 we have seen numerous politicians trying to masquerade as anti-establishment but when push comes to shove like bernie sanders like Vivek ramashwamy like robert f kennedy jr at the end of the day they're never gonna really cross the line inside 100 with the people they're always going to have their loyalties and until we can break away from that there we're going to continue seeing zionists having ultimate control and, and the same can go for Vivek Ramaswamy, he's anti-war in a lot of things except Israel and China, because China plays to his base. But why Israel? Uh, you know, maybe that plays to his base as well. Maybe he's seeking donations from APAC and other uh, Zionist oligarchs. Uh, and I'm sure that he is, but he's never going to actually side with the people on every issue until uh, he breaks away from that. He's not going to break away from that, really. What his whole goal is, is to be Trump's vice president. And possibly that's what Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s goal is as well, because he's likely not going to win.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of auditioning going on to be, uh, you know, the bridesmaid, um, as it were. And I I thought that that bridesmaid was going to be Mike Pompeo, uh, because he was kind of kissing Trump's ass, pardon the French, uh, in the last couple of years. But then he he plunged the knife into the back of Trump before all the lawfare cases came. So then that was Mike Pompeo, the military-industrial complex, the Dick Cheney, if you will, the Eminence Gris for the defense establishment and and a diehard rapturist as well to boot so so that put him out of the picture i think with trump cuz Trump uh, values loyalty so much that uh, he wouldn't stand for that. So then even you could have the rehabilitation of Nikki Haley as a possible imposition like the establishment, Ben could say, Donald, Donald, we're going to let you through here, but you're, you're going to have to, su- we're going to select your VP. We're going to select your cabinet and, and do you're a sort of Faust- a, Faust- a Faustian pact there. I don't rule that out considering how crazy things are in U.S. politics. But um, your final thoughts uh, going into this primary season, the Colorado ballot uh, controversy as well. Your final thoughts before we wrap it up.
2: Sure. Well, you know, I think Trump could really end up still securing the presidential uh, election. Uh regardless of what happened in Colorado. That being said, how, how that will impact the situation in Israel-Palestine is very interesting. Trump, yes, he did try to move the embassy to Jerusalem. At the same time, he has been caught saying that he found it easier to negotiate with Mohammed Abbas and the Palestinian Authority than he did Netanyahu. Everyone knows at this point what Netanyahu's game is. It's to push and push and not give anything. Uh, so I think Trump, being the natural deal maker that he is, could try to uh, put the brakes on a little harder than Joe Biden is willing to. Whether that's effective or not is another thing. Another thing is Mohammed Abbas is 87 years old. He is very old, and who knows how much longer he'll be around.
1: That's true. That's true. So uh, Trump said he regarded him. He was like a father. And he's like a father figure. That was an interesting comment that he made about a boss but yeah we got this problem right through politics ben we have a lot of uh octogenarian people in high positions of power all over the world and there seems to be a problem replacing these long-term leaders not so easy <laughs> so in the united states uh, even in russia putin's running for another term he still seems to be somewhat fit somewhat still uh in his uh, prime as w- as well but trump will be in his 80s uh, within his first term very, very quickly. And we have that as well. So we're going to run into some similar issues uh, as Joe Biden, although I don't know, Trump seems a little bit sharper than Joe at, uh, I don't know what he is now, seven, 78, 79. So yeah, this is just an ongoing theme, I think, that uh, we're seeing more and more. This this is also part of the crisis of democracy and uh, and also Politics being a type of celebrity now, where you have political brands that they just can't seem to wind down uh, and and bring in the new, you know, the new young blood. It just seems like the establishment is so calcified it can't it can't take an injection of new energy and new ideas. That's a big, big problem, I think. And it's not just confined to the United States. I think this is a global issue that uh, everybody is going to face uh, in in the coming years. But um, we're going to wrap this segment up. I want to thank you, Ben. And uh, Ben, give us a shout out that people can follow you on X, Twitter, or any other platforms.
2: Yeah, sure. The best place to follow me is on Twitter at Ben F. Rubenstein. That's B-E-N, the letter F-R-U-B-I-N. S-T-E-I-N. Thanks for having me, Patrick
1: thanks thanks and i will tag you on our feed on twitter as well appreciate you coming on the program all the best and uh, be safe listen ladies and gentlemen that's all we've got time for today tomorrow's thursday we've got another powerful show lined up for you tomorrow i hope you guys can join us same time same place i'm patrick henningson your host this is tnt today's news talk stay on the network though we've got more to come Twenty-four-seven, three-six-five talk radio only here on TNT. Take care, everybody. All the best.